And as we continue to look at the miracle of God's purpose for his glory and for people, we find another amazing event contained in the book of Acts. And what we find over and over and over in Scripture is this. How there, there are two main narratives, if you like, two main stories. The main narrative, the overarching one, is the story of God and his glory in history and, in, and through mankind and the nations coming to salvation, coming to walk in the glorious light of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the second narrative is the human story. And we encounter people in, in the raw, as it were. We, we find real people in the Bible. They're not, they're not sort of airbrushed, you know. They're not sort of um, uh, modified for, for magazine covers, you know, to have these beautiful complexions and beautiful bodies and big Colgate smiles. And we, we find real people with real problems, real weaknesses, and God works in spite of and that's the good news, praise God. He works in spite of our brokenness for his glory. I think the first sermon I ever preached was called Crack Pots and Diamonds. And it was taking two pictures from scripture, the potter and the clay, and, and this picture of, of the light of God shining through us as he shapes us. And, and, uh, and, and the, the wonderful thing is that God does use crack pots. And if you don't like be called a crack pot, Suck it up, because that's what you are. That's what I am. And God shines his light through those cracks. And God is glorified. But there's a very moving human story in this section that we read from 15, Acts 15, 36 to chapter 16, verse 10. And there's been quite a heaviness on my heart this week in preparation, because it's brought up a whole lot of memories and emotions let me explain. What we find in Acts 15.36 to 16.10 is a massive split between two dear brothers in Christ. Two of the most prominent in the early church, Paul and Barnabas. They part ways in this section of scripture because of a dispute that they felt very strongly about. And it came down to a young man. It was all about a young man named John Mark. And the fact that he had started on this journey, a young person full of energy, full of vigor, full of hopes and dreams, wanting to be used by God, willing to give everything, in the service of God, but like all of us, he hit all kinds of hardship. He encountered challenges and heartache and sadness and probably homesickness that he had never anticipated. So he started out as a young person full of optimism. Remember those days? And he hit the wall, one of the great walls in life. Let's call it the wall of reality. And he slid down that wall and came to a thud at the bottom, and he tapped out. He waved the white flag, and he said, I can't do this. I'm a failure. We're not given all the reasons why John Mark stepped back and deserted. Certainly, that's the way that Paul saw it, because either you were all in 
or you were all that. There was no half measures with Paul. I remember standing some years ago at the gates to the city, just inside the gates of that ancient city where this dispute took place. Where Mark shared with the group, the traveling party, led by Paul and Barnabas. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm in over my head. Punching way above my weight. I can't do this anymore. The sea is called Perga. And it's in the area, the region of Pamphylia. And we read about it here. And I remember standing at those gates as our guide. Uh, I was on a biblical tour. What an amazing experience. Study tour. And as he, as we spoke about this and reflected on this, many of us, most of us in that group, pastors, and in different kinds of ministries, thinking about the hardships of ministry and, and some of the people we've lost along the way. And so I've been thinking again this week of people I've lost along the way. Sometimes I have no idea what happened. I have no idea. I'm an analytical person, so I want to unpack everything, every spring, screw, and washer. But sometimes I just can't do that. I say, Lord, what went wrong? What happened? How could I lose a friend, not, more, not just once, more than once, and we were both in ministry together? So this, this section of Scripture is very close to my heart, and it has highlighted some scars and some wounds that maybe haven't healed as much as I thought they had. So we're gonna we're going to be honest. We're gonna we're gonna man up to this and acknowledge this, but we're gonna look at it in the context, the biblical context, of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, because God's at work to willing to do according to His good purpose. He He is making us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's knocking off rough edges in our lives, and he uses, you know, Christians have been called heavenly sandpaper. Sometimes not so heavenly. But God uses us to rub against each other and smooth off a whole lot of roughness until we can be of greater use to the Lord and bring him more glory. So we're going to be looking at the reality of, of life in the trenches in the biblical context of learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because many times, if not every time, when we hit a snag in a relation, a relationship breakdown, you know, we cry, Lord, where are you in all of this? What's going on here? How is this even possible? I don't understand it. Like somebody at, a, at an accident, a massive, you know, multi-car collision on the highway. People are often on those seats staggering around, completely disorientated and confused, not knowing where they are. We often find ourselves like that in life, in general, and in ministry. So let's pick up the story, Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Let's go do some follow-up. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Two leaders in the New Testament church, brothers in Christ, senior leaders, they had such a sharp disagreement about John Mark that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So one missionary journey becomes two. Not, you know, it's not a recommended way to multiply ministry. But one missionary journey becomes two. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept, take note of this, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Lord, if you can keep them from doing ministry in a certain area, can't you keep them from arguing? When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, it's not northern Asia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia. Not Macadamia. From Macedonia. Standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. First thing we need to recognize and notice here as we want to learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit allows conflict. He allowed it. He doesn't allow them the Spirit of God. I love the phrase, the Spirit of Jesus. What a beautiful name for the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always working together. The Spirit of Jesus barring them from two regions, two areas but allowing them to have this major, this strong, this sharp disagreement. It's intense. It was brutal. He allowed this to happen. And what we see from Scripture and what we need to realize in life is that conflict is not the problem. Some of us are, you know, conflict-averse. We will do anything to avoid conflict. Often thinking that conflict, you know, is so sin, and it is sinful in terms of relational conflict, but it's so bad that I just don't, I just, maybe I don't have the emotional energy at the time. I've certainly found myself in that camp. But I just don't have the energy to deal with this right now. Maybe there's a wound from the past that hasn't healed. But conflict's not the problem. It's how we deal with it. Or rather, how we don't deal with conflict. That's the problem. And something else I've 
learn. I'm getting to the stage of life from when I start telling you all the things I've learned. That's how old I am. One of the other things I've learned is that the pain of avoiding conflict is far greater than the pain of dealing with conflict. We avoid conflict because when you avoid pain and discomfort and whatever it might be. But the pain of not dealing with conflict is far greater. And the implications are immense. So conflict's not the problem. It's how we deal with it. It's like stress. Stress in life, we're actually, we're actually created to deal with stress. But in the way that we're designed, the way God has designed us, it's like a rev counter in a car. Ladies, that's a dial. It goes up and down. It's not, it's not the petrol gauge. Okay? Uh, it's, it goes a lot like this. And, um, and it shows you how, the, how much stress the engine is under. How many revolutions per minute? Google it. How many revolutions per minute are going on? So you can redline a car for a short period of time, but then you better decelerate. It's like, it's like a cheetah. Let's use another example. Cheetahs are pretty fast, eh? But can they do that speed all day? No, they do that to catch prey, but as soon as they catch prey, or if they don't catch the prey, they hit the brakes, eh? And then they collapse. And they... If they carried on that speed for longer than a few minutes, they would literally burn up, overheat from the inside. That's quite amazing. It's like a sprinter. If you, if you, I think everybody knows about Usain Bolt, but you watch these guys, you notice that they only start sweating after the race is finished. Because their body's finally caught up with them. And say, whoa, what was that? Woo, we were in the red line there. <coughs> How's it, bud? <laughs> we're in the red line there. Don't do that for a while, because we can't cope with that. So we, are, we can deal with stress in bursts. But the problem with living in Joburg, and God bless Lorenzo and Chantel, they're so smart, they're getting out of this place. The problem with Joburg is we're in the red line all the time. The, the, the revs never drop. In terms of trauma, there's this condition, very common in Joburg, we all have it, actually, because of the violent environment in which we live. Some of us have it to greater or to lesser extent, post, post-traumatic stress disorder. But I was listening to a psychologist at an international Open Doors conference, because you can imagine the work that Open Doors does, there's a lot of trauma. And the psychologist made the point, what happens if it's not post-traumatic stress disorder, but present traumatic stress disorder? In other words, there's no post. It's just, we live at such a high level of, of angst in Joburg, that's why you need to. And I, I hate it when you all go away on holiday and leave me here all by myself. But I'm glad that you do. Because those revs have to drop. The revs have to drop. So, all of that to say, if we're in conflict constantly, we're, we're going to destroy ourselves. We're going to poison the well of every person around us. But when conflict arises, 
God's actually given us by his spirit, and in terms of all so much biblical instruction, Matthew 18 is a guideline for dealing with conflict, biblical church discipline, which we just choose to negate most of the time. Have I made my point? Conflict's not the problem. It's how we don't deal with it that's the problem. And we've got to bite down sometimes, not on the person. But you know, like the old movies where a cowboy's got a bullet in him and he's got a, friends have got to get it out. And whiskey comes to the rescue. And he's got to bite on a stick or a piece of leather and dig it out, man. We've got to bite down sometimes and just go through conflict. Well, not just anyhow, in a godly way. And the fact that the Holy Spirit allows conflict does not condone our sin, does not condone our weakness, it doesn't sort of brush our brokenness under the carpet, as it were. It does show us, though, praise God for this, that's why I'm still in ministry, is that God is greater than our brokenness. God is greater than our failure. God is greater than our sin. Now, the people's names that appear in Scripture, even if it's just a line entry, a name, or like big chunks of Scripture, are just broken people like us. We often want to put them on a pedestal and treat them like somebody great. Because I think subconsciously, if we, if we highlight, if we get to somebody, we let ourselves off because we don't have to be like that. But if we realize we're on the same level, there's the same standard that's applied to all of us, we have to front up and we have to deal with our sin. And jumping ahead in the story, you will see that John, Paul was reconciled to Barnabas, and Paul was reconciled to John Mark. He even says when he's in prison, much later in his life, bring John Mark, he's a comfort to me. So praise God that relationship was restored. It was God didn't allow it to remain uh, unresolved. And I suppose those are the relationships that really hurt me. And I've hurt people. It's not a one-way one traffic. But the ones that are not resolved for one reason or another, you know. Um, let me say this about unresolved conflicts. Perhaps... You haven't seen that person for years and years and years. Don't force the, don't force the issue. Pray, 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 pray for them. But be ready. You know, people say time heals, which is a big fat lie. Time doesn't heal. Time just makes it permanent. But time with intervention. And in terms of broken relationships, it's the intervention of the great physician. The Comforter. Our Lord and our God. So pray for those people and, and, and try to connect. Drop a note. See how they respond. Don't react. Just... And pray that God, and He will, often does, cause your paths to cross at some time. What about... You say, if that person has died, they're no longer here. Well, because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and time is a minor detail to God. He created it to keep us in check. 
It's a boundary he placed around us, not around himself. You can go to God, the living God, and you can still reconcile with the righteous judge of all the earth in regards to that person. Does that make sense? There are so many people I've spoken to say, well, I can't do anything about it because they, 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 they died. Oh, you can still sort it out. Because it's before you and you only have I sinned, O oh Lord, and done what is evil in your sight. Says David. Oh, but what, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, maybe it wasn't. But if you're 2% to blame for a situation, take 100% responsibility for that 2%. And as far as it depends on you, says God's word, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. So, there are things outside of our control, but there's much that is within our control. So as far as it depends on you, can I say before God, without forcing the issue, without trying to manipulate, without I've done everything I can to reconcile with that person. He's the righteous judge of all the earth. He knows our hearts. And he answers. He answers prayer. Praise God, he answers prayer. Jaya Packer makes the point that if we don't deal carefully with relationships, Satan will creep in and cause such disruption. Look at even at Philippians. I mean, this amazing book. It's, it's four chapters that are just full of joy and love and uh, gratitude and deep bonds of fellowship. And then we get to the latter part of the book. And we discover, I think, one of the main reasons for the writing of the book was the fact that two, it has it happened in that case, two women in the church were poisoning the well of that whole church. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche. I plead. Not at a demand, not I'm lording it over you, but I plead with you, be reconciled. Be reconciled. And all Satan needs, somebody has said, his most destructive weapon in his arsenal is a crowbar. Because he just finds the smallest chink, the smallest crack, and he just... Is that annoying? Yes, it's very annoying. And he makes it whole bigger. So praise God that we have this account in Scripture. and I, Let's not gloss over it. But praise God, too, that every crisis is an opportunity. Even in our sin, God is at work. Doesn't condone it, but he's greater than it. Maybe even one isolated, pathetic little amen might be good right there. Let me say it again. God doesn't condone our sin. He's greater than it but he works through it. Otherwise, we'd be, we'd be up a creek without a paddle. Every crisis is an opportunity. Fascinating, too, that we encountered in 
earlier in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, which was a massive dispute within the church. And how wise and how mature and how beautiful was that letter that the, the apostles and the elders wrote to the Gentiles. Just four things. Two of which, in terms of God's time and, and the opening of his purpose, have actually fallen away for us today. The ones in, to deal with meat offered to idols and meat with blood in it. So enjoy your medium rare steak. It's okay. But that was a massive... There was massive potential there for disruption. But they dealt with that. But here comes a one-on-one. -on -one. And it seems to me that we're, we're kind of better at the big stuff. It's so much easier to give people advice about what they should do in their lives, isn't it? You know? So much easier. Oh, that's easy. Because we have objectivity there. But when it comes to personal relationships... The micro-problems, they can fester and cause damage. And what we see here is, is two, and it's always a lot more complex than this, but there's two main personality types in operation here. There's, there's Paul, who's the task-orientated guy. I mean, he was, I'm convinced he was hyperactive. I mean, he, he, was, he was amazing, but he was... Let's take the hill. You know, let's take the city for Jesus. Let's, let's go where the gospel's never been preached, says in Romans 15. That's my ambition. Barnabas, his nickname tells us all we need to know. He's a son of encouragement. So he's a pers people person. Some of us are more task-orientated. And those of us who are more task-orientated often come across as distant and inaccessible and, you know, those kind of things. The uh, The... the the people-orientated people are like magnets for people. People just, ah, oh, lovey, 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 lovey. And that's beautiful. But we're all different, aren't we? And it's interesting, as Luke records this, he doesn't take sides. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't try to excuse it. He just tells it like it is. He's a great historian. And we have to read further and deeper to find out, wow, what happened between Paul and Barnabas and, and this, this young man? Yo, imagine getting blitzed by Paul. You know, we, we talk about Paul, but I, I only want to meet the Paul in heaven. Not the Paul that was on earth. Don't worry, I'll be a much nicer person in heaven too. So. But I don't want to meet the Paul that was on earth. I don't think I would have got on with him at all. I don't think I would have got on with him at all. But God uses all kinds of people. This is what Warren Risby says here. If God had depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, he would never, ever get anything done. Our limitations and imperfections are good reasons for us to depend on the grace of God. Our sufficiency is from him alone. So the Holy Spirit allows, allows conflict, but there's a godly way to handle it. And it's actually a test of our maturity, of our progress, of our development, of our spiritual formation, how we deal with conflict. Do we deal with conflict? Do we avoid it? 
And how do we deal with it? Because there's good ways to deal with it and there's very bad ways to deal with it. And in the midst of this, in the midst of brokenness, and the reality of doing ministry as fallen broken people, and doing relationships and doing life as fallen broken people, we also see, secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers the gospel message. Praise God, it's not limited by us. You know, there's nothing you or I can do. This is not an excuse. It's not a like get out of jail free card. But there's nothing you and I can do to hinder, to stop the progress of the gospel. I will build my church. And all the evil cannot even slow me down. Never mind, stop me. So the Holy Spirit. And we need to focus on the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, because we often relegate him to the background for some crazy reason. The Holy Spirit empowers the gospel message. Something happened that's quite fascinating. So Paul splits up with, from Barnabas and from John Mark. Let's get to chapter 16. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Another young man. Paul was committed to discipling young men. Timothy, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, so she was a Messianic Jew. She was somebody who accepted Christ as the king of the Jews, the king of all nations. But his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium, so the, the church in that area, spoke well of this young man, Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey so he could circumcise him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So he had a problem in the sense that his mother was Jewish, and if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. That's how it works. Pardon me, that's what my Jewish friends tell me as well. I love my Jewish friends. My Jew crew. Pray for them, man. They need Jesus, man. They need Jesus. And all they've got is me. So, so you know, you've got to pray for them. Lots and lots. But I love them to bits. So, he was a Jew, but he was uncircumcised. So, that's a bit of an oxymoron. Uncircumcised Jew. But Paul wanted to reach Jew and Gentile, so the Jews knew about him, and they knew he was an uncircumcised Jew because they hadn't had his bar mitzvah. You know, have you ever been to a bar mitzvah? I'm trying so hard to get invited to a bar mitzvah, and I haven't got it right yet. It's just amazing. But they knew he hadn't had his bar mitzvah. They knew he hadn't been circumcised on the eighth day. So Paul said, hey, buddy, this is part of following your, carrying your cross. You've got you to gotta, you gotta get circumcised. He's not a baby anymore. There was no anesthetic. That's commitment to the gospel, man. That's commitment. We don't have any evidence here of a protest. Like, are you kidding me? You must be out of your head. So Timothy had to get the cut. That's what it comes down to. And they did that, not because they're trying to impress Jewish people. 
Not because Paul now has suddenly capitulated and, 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 and you know, reneged on the, on the agreement of the Jerusalem Council, of which he was a part. It was just in terms of expediting ministry. So that that could not be an obstacle. And sometimes there are things that are not legislated for us. But in order to, like Paul says, I become all things to all men, that I might win some. There are things that we sometimes have to do in order not to be a stumbling block and not to be an obstacle, not to be a distraction from the work of God. And these wonderful words that we find in verse 5 of 16. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew, get this, they grew through people moving from one church to another. No? Well, that's how we do it. We even call that church growth. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. People were coming out of darkness, out of paganism, out of Judaism, into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even while, and we're going to read it again here from verses 6 to 10, where the Holy Spirit blocked them entering because the timing wasn't right for those areas. This is amazing passages in Scripture that show us how God, we, we call it the providence of God, how he works out everything in accordance with his purpose. He even says to, to Abraham, I'm going to bring you back through this land. Your descendants can come back through this land. But it's going to take about 400 years because the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. So the Amorites, one of the, 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 the ites, you know, nations of, of Canaan, were sinning like was going out of fashion, but they had not yet exhausted the mercy of God, and God, in effect, says they've got 400 years more mercy. And if they don't repent, then I'll blast them. And people go, oh, this God of yours, he just slaughters people. Read the context, please. The mercy of God, how he tolerates our sin for, for generations, for centuries. God says to Abraham, they got 400 years more to sin before I wipe them out. You've got to read between the lines. You've got to look at the context. But he's enabling, it's, it's God is enabling the spreading of the gospel. He empowers the gospel message at, to the extent that there is this man, the people are just coming, coming to faith, coming to faith, coming to faith, coming to faith. Why are we not seeing that at the moment? That's another sermon, that's another series. But it's a very important question. Because God will always accomplish his purpose. He will always enable his work. His gospel will be preached to all nations. And we have eight unreached people groups in South Africa. How is that possible after centuries? Well, don't forget the gospel got to Africa. When? First century AD. It's in Acts 8. Just flip back a bit. gospel's been here for 2,000 years. What has Africa done with it? 
Africa needs the church in Africa. All of us need to answer that question. And we haven't even, we didn't even know there was a question like that. How are we going to have the answer if we don't have the question? What have we done with the gospel in Africa for 2,000 years? That's mega. That's a big, important question. Who's talking about that? Nobody I know of. I don't even hear that question come up in missions conferences, which is mind-boggling. But be sure of this. In God's way and in God's time, the gospel will reach everywhere. But that does not negate our individual responsibility to make disciples of all nations. We are way behind, way behind. And leading into my, the third point this morning from the Holy Spirit enables the spread of the gospel, enables the gospel message. One of my dad's favorite verses, my dear old dad, he's been with Jesus now for about, I don't know, 18 months. He doesn't know it's 18 months. I know it's 18 months. But he doesn't know that. He thinks he's been there forever. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so jealous. But one of his favorite verses is Zechariah 4, 6. Second part of which says it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit. Says the Lord. It's not by campaigns. It's not by marketing. It's not by strategies. As important as they are. And that doesn't mean we don't plan and we don't do things, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So my third point out of this text is the Holy Spirit guides the work of God. The Holy Spirit guides the work of God. Twice here, we have mentioned that God, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 not there, not yet. Come over here. And we see this beautiful symphony, this beautiful Synergy of God and people in the work of the kingdom. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the restricted by the Holy Spirit. How? Would you, Luke, doctor, you're a man of great detail. Would you give us some more detail here? How can you just say twice in a few verses, kept by the Holy Spirit, from preaching in Asia. That's Turkey today. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. You can find all these things. If you've got a real Bible, you'll have maps in the back. You can look, look at those. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed him. No, wait, wait, Dr. Luke. Hold the phone. What, what are you talking about here? Oh, ah. I don't understand. What, ah. what, how did they know? How do you and I know when the Spirit of God is telling us to do something or not to do something. Wouldn't it be just great if it's like, you know, every morning you get these news prompts on your phone? Beedy, 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 Spirit of God, Spirit of God. Wouldn't that be fantastic? 
You can even write it in toothpaste on the mirror, you know. That'd be great. I could read it. How did this work? Well, we're not told here. But let's not forget that the book of Acts, why is it called Acts? What's, why, why? Where did this name come from? Well, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, through the early church. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So we have to read, you see, you know, as Dr. Rex said, you know, not all the cookies are on the bottom shelf. I finished those long ago. But now you've got to reach a bit. It's like when you're a new Christian. Some people, they mention this to me. Oh, that's helpful. You know when you're a new Christian and you pray for a parking right outside the door of Christa, you know, your favorite entrance, your brand new Christian, there's a parking. God answers these baby prayers because we're baby Christians. But when you're no longer a baby Christian, God doesn't answer baby prayers for you because you can jolly well walk. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I gave you legs. I got your game with your prayer request. You're just boring me to death. But when you're a baby, we ask baby babies ask baby questions and we respond. Because I have a cookie. But when you're an adult, make your own cookies. Buy your own cookies. So a video the other day where a lady said, you know, people, she shared a testimony of her recovery from, from addiction. I think it was drug addiction. She said, you know, I, 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 and people were really mad at me. Really mad. Because I'm giving God the credit for stuff I did. How dare you give the God of yours the credit for something you did all by yourself? You know what I would have said a person who would have said that to me? I'd say, well done for making your own spleen. You are amazing. You created your own lungs. <gasps> Fingernail. And what will they say to you? I didn't do that. Well, but we'll take credit for it. You see where I'm going with this? So we have to apply the truths of God's word, but it's God who enables. It's God who works in and through us for his glory. So there's not an easy answer here. It's not in the text, in this specific text, but as we read and study scripture back and forth, we start to learn about the person of the Holy Spirit. We start to understand the Holy Spirit a little bit. Just a little bit. Just like we get to know the mannerisms of our partner, the husbands and wives, over time, whether you like it or not. You know, you, and, and here's the crazy thing. When they're not there, you even miss those things. Don't tell my wife I said that. Because you're in relationship well, if you're not in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how are you going to know when the Holy Spirit's talking to you? We need to learn. What does Galatians say? Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Conduct yourselves. As one who lives in full view, and we do, in full view of God. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you'll get to know. Oh, when I make your tea, I have to put the milk in first. Okay. Makes no flipping difference to me. I've even tried to taste the difference, and it's no different. But hey, if that's the way you like it, here's your tea. We get to know. So as we walk with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have to shout at us. He doesn't have to write a message and toothpaste on the mirror or send us a text, an alert. He just goes, psst, not over there right now. We'll do that later. This way. I mean, if you have to hear, let me tell you, if you have to hear, and I'm, God does it, but if you have to hear an audible voice or Jesus appears to you, you are a big doo-doo. <laughs> you are a really big doo-doo. Because you've missed like a million Long before I looked at my parents when I was causing trouble, especially in somebody else's house, you know, you think you can get away with stuff. <laughs> Long before I actually looked in the direction, I felt the eyes. <laughs> I still hear my grandfather when I pick up tools, which is not often. Glad he doesn't know that, but because he... It, burned it into my psyche, what to do, how to do it. So they were being prompted and led, they were following the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides them. How will you know the will of God? Not by going to another seminar on how to know the will of God. Just spend time with God, and you'll know. You will know. As a matter of fact, you can run but you can't hide. Just ask Jonah. I've got another, another pagan friend. I've got, I, I, I know some of the, most, the best pagans in the world, I'm sure. And one of my pagan friends keeps running from God. I said, bud, you can run, but you can't hide. So run, go for, run. but you're not going to outrun God. We can ignore him or try to ignore him, but he's going to get us. As I said, you don't want to hear an audible voice or actually see Jesus appear to you. You want to respond way before that happens. The only times that's a good thing to see Jesus appear to you is if you're in prison persecuted for Jesus and he pitches up because he's going to put his arms around you, and the testimony of people, it's just beautiful. They feel the warmth of the embrace of Jesus at the very point where they're about to give up. But here's the spirit of Jesus prompting them. And I, look, it's only 10 o'clock, so I've only been preaching for 12 minutes, actually, so 15 tops. But there's a wonderful story in the Old Testament that I think is really relevant here. You tell me if you agree. Balaam's ass. Okay? And that's a good old-fashioned word. It means a donkey. Okay? 
Right? That's what I mean. Numbers 22. Balaam is asked by a guy called Balak, it gets confusing, to go and curse the people of God. Is there moving? Is God's moving them? You know, they're on the, from Egypt, they're on the journey, on the way to the promised land. And they're coming through his territory, and he's very worried, he should, probably should be. And so he wants Balaam, who's a prophet of God, to come curse the people of God. Now, good luck with that. So Balaam gets on his ass, and he goes to meet Balak. I don't know if the donkey, I don't know what the CCs was, probably a 125. You know, I don't know. Wasn't a GS 1200, but it was probably a 125. Anyway, they're, they're going, plodding along, and Sonny the donkey, who's never, ever been a problem, and for a donkey, that's a miracle, suddenly starts causing problems. You can read it in Numbers 22. It's, it's wonderful. 1 to 39. So, so the donkey stops, doesn't want to go. Then the donkey, they, they go through a narrow part. There's two little stone walls on the side. The donkey goes to the one side and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And Balaam gets so mad, he talks to the donkey. And he's so mad that he doesn't realize the donkey's talking back to me. I mean, that should have woken him up. But he's so mad that he's arguing with a donkey. I felt like that at times. I felt like that at times. It wasn't a donkey, though. But he has this fat argument. And the donkey actually asks him. You see, we believe in the God of the Bible. He can make snakes talk. He can make donkeys talk. He can stop rain. He can cause wind, he can cause floods, he can cause droughts, he can raise the dead, he can do anything. So we don't have a problem with this. Because we're not narrow-minded. So the donkey has to remind Balaam, have I ever given you any problems? Ever. No, you haven't, so what's up now? And the donkey says to its master, can't you see the angel over there? How bad is it when the donkey can see the angel and you can't? How do you know it's an angel? You're only a donkey. Well, I'm talking to you, aren't I? And then the angel says to Balaam, Why didn't you listen to your donkey? You moron. Why didn't you listen to the donkey? I was about to strike you dead. And the donkey was trying to save your lousy, miserable, rebellious little life. I bet the donkey got VIP treatment after that. The donkey could see the angel. But the prophet couldn't. I'm just saying. If you've never heard the voice of God, maybe find a friendly donkey to help you out. <laughs> maybe. I know God talks to horses all the time. He loves horses. But how amazing is this? So here's the question. God guides. He opens doors. He closes doors. 
are we resisting the Spirit of God individually, corporately as a church, as a church in this area, as a church in South Africa? Are we resisting the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, in anything we do or aren't doing? Or anything we're attempting to do? Sometimes Christians are like spiritual bumper cars. Boing, you bounce off an obstacle. The thing just turns around, you know. Boing, you spend your whole life bouncing off obstacles, barriers that God said, don't go there. Well, maybe if I just go a bit faster or hit the wall harder. No. We're trying to knock down walls, and down the passage, there's a door that's already open. Are we doing that anywhere? Are we spiritual bumper cars? You know, you're going to get a whiplash. You're going to get a headache. You're going to be really tired. James tells us God opposes the proud. But he gives grace, grace to the humble. 1 Thessalonians 5, Christian church, hear this loud and clear. I don't care what your theology is. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. W.H. Baker says, what is important here is that God sometimes intervenes in man's best intentions. God often permits things to occur which are not according to his preference, but usually such things are permitted when a person is deliberately and willfully ignoring the preferences of God. Are you stiff-necked people? How long will you resist the Spirit of God? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did during the rebellion. That's the book of Numbers. That's the wilderness. That's when the people said to God, you're a liar and you don't provide for us. As a matter of fact, we've made our own gods. Thank you very much. All right, I'll land it down. Let's come to God in prayer this morning. And before you, God, we we are completely transparent. Not only do you read us like a book, you wrote the book of our lives. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, shine your light into our hearts. It's as if we are experiencing spiritual load shedding. And we're banging into obstacles when we should just go around them. There's always an open door when it comes to your will. Done your way for your glory.
we are babies when it comes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, fall afresh on me. Fall afresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, and fill us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. <laughs>